0: Welcome to Teachings in the Air, Air. Air. podcast with Jerry Oldman, coming to you from Hunkameenum Territory with a podcast series about Indigenous men's health and wellness. We aim to inspire, motivate, and empower Indigenous men to be sound in mind, body, and spirit, because that's what health means. This is Teachings in the Air with Sahilthit coming to you from unceded Coast Salish territory of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh peoples. Ah, it's a beautiful day in Coast Salish territory. Today's podcast is about, it's called um, The Beauty Way and Living the Dream. And it's about ancient art contemporary art, you know, about how our people adjusted and how we're still here. And Sahil said, you know, I didn't know about our art as a child. And I reflect back on it. There were no drums, masks, or anything in my community. And um, when I finally was exposed to it, it was so, I guess you could say it impacted my identity. That, hey, I'm indigenous. And I seen the rock paintings and the petroglyphs and the rock carvings. And my late uncle told me, He said, yeah, they used their thumb when they painted the pictograph with red ochre. And he says they put uh, slime from the fish to preserve it. And I say, whoa. But I didn't see adornments until I was in my mid-20s. And I got a hold of a little pendant. And it was a treasure to me. Because it helped me to identify as indigenous. So over the years, I've come to see how the art was an expression of spirit, of the spiritual realm. When I'd see the work that our artists do in the past and today, I could feel that art, like the spirit of the wood or the metal or the canvas or the paper, you know, and I started to feel it, the beating. Like in my microphone, there's a beaded eagle feather with the beautiful colors. So i seen those expressions and come to realize that it was about identity. Like my grandmother would do um, cedar root baskets, and one of my aunties said, I can tell that's your granny, because she put a specific design with the wild cherry bark that they'd bury in a special swamp in to make it black. And it would stay black, and they would design their baskets, and it was art. So we lived a beauty way of life, where everything we had would have a carving on it, a painting, You know, ladles, spoons, our canoes were covered in art. And um, yeah, so it was, I started to see that. And then I come to realize too, it was protection. Even how people would paint their face, you know, with the black or the red, it was a protection. It would protect them. So we had art as protection as well. So I started to see the wide range of, Indigenous art. And I tell people, we have Picassos too. We have Michelangelo's, their carvings. I'm in a room now surrounded with carvings, Just as good as those European artists. Just as beautiful, just as symmetrical, all of the expressions. So that's what today's podcast is about the world of arts. You know, contemporary and ancient and probably a combination of both. And I have wonderful guests with me today, you know, to talk about their, how they come into the arts and what they do and who who was their inspiration and what it means to them to represent the people through art. So my first guest... Is from the Squamish peoples. And, um, his name is Aaron. Many people know him as Splash. So I call him Pulchton. And it's about the splash and the ripples in Stetlium language. So, Aaron, I'd like you to inter- have you introduce yourself to the people that listen to this Teachings in the Air podcast. and. Um, a bit about your family and your introduction into the arts. Thank you.
1: Um, yeah, in English, it's Aaron Nelson Moody, and uh, my Squamish name is Sunyachwala, a name I got from uh, and, um, um and Pekalton. Uh, and as Jerry mentioned, my, uh, he gave me a name as well, which is Pulton, um, uh which is a very similar name to Splash, which is what people usually call me. Uh, yeah, and uh, I, I think I came, came upon art uh, as a boy. My, my father used to make things. My, my Scottish father used to make a lot of things in the house. He was always drawing or, or making something, and uh, I think we just just followed in his footsteps. But um, I, I remember sitting with my grandfather when he made jewelry. Um, he made really simple jewelry just out of hammered copper, and I'd sit on his workbench. I was really small, and uh, just just was fascinated by that. And he'd make these little carvings, and he'd, he'd mostly just give them away. And uh, kind of the outsider on the, the stoop, my uncles were carving for, uh, they made these little carvings for Hudson's Bay Company. They make these little little totem poles. They're really, really, um, really rough. And they I mean, sometimes they just had like a sharpened uh, butter knife they were making them. And uh, Hudson's Bay always said, no, make them real crude. Make them look like an Indian did them. They, they're just, you know, real humiliating process of, of trying to make those things and sell enough. And. In the old days, if you went to the Hudson's Bay Company, there was a big barrel of them right right when you went in. I think they sold them for like twenty-five cents or something like that by a little Indian totem pole when he came to Vancouver. But uh, anyways, I I just I we were always making things. We carved canoes, we carved paddles, uh, we made the things we you know the toys we played with, and just always making something.
0: Thank you, Aaron. And we have one of Aaron's um, students with us, and. um, I gave her a name, Nashmeen Tanat, so Nashmeen Tanat, can you please introduce yourself to the people and um, a bit about your family and where you're from and how you got into this field of the arts?
2: Um, Hi, Uh, my English name is Athena Pika. I guess it's uh, appropriated Greek, <laughs> Czechoslovakian. <laughs> and my statlium name from Jerry Olman is Nashmintanat, which means go-getter woman. Um, I, my family's from the Kwantlen First Nation, and my grandmother's from Sartlip, uh, West Saanich, on Vancouver Island. Um, I can't really remember my first first inspirations, but the first carvings that really stuck out to me um, We went out to Kwantlen and visited some relatives, uh, Drew and Phyllis Atkins, and I saw these carvings that were um, on the posts in their house and above the fireplace. And I thought it was so cool how you can just, you know, if you wanted something in your house, you didn't want to put a nail in the wall, you can just carve the wall if you really wanted to. And um, that really stuck with me, and my mom had carvings around, and my dad experimented with making some bentwood boxes. So I've always been around art, which I'm really lucky to have grown around, been around indigenous artwork, but nothing Salish. And and I didn't really know the difference until I took Splash's class and really dove into it. Um, So I guess my first inspirations were Palocton's work, and I didn't really know it at the time. Um, Yeah, and so I've been working in Salish design for, I guess, the past four or five years now. And uh, really, going full force, pedal to the metal, uh, <laughs> diving in both feet first, like a cold water bath. <laughs> and so, um, yeah. And it's it's been really nice to um, investigate into why I make things too. And I'm honored to be learning um, silver engraving and wood carving from Splash, and then wool weaving from Deborah the past couple of years. Deborah Sparrow at Musqueam, and um, learning more about the local First Nations history as well, because for Salish teachings, um, you kind of have to fight for crumbs sometimes. And right now I'm surrounded by very generous people um, and generous elders who have been willing to um, give me their time and let me drive them around town looking at <laughs> art all day. <laughs>
0: Thank you. And I'm just so happy today. I got warm feelings because I met a relative. And it's my next guest from Lilwat. She's Lil'uat Ulmuch. Sydney, can you introduce yourself to the people and tell us a bit about your family and what you're into now?
3: Yeah, hello. Enchash Quimchin, Lilwat Uthkan. Hello, my Ukwamich Squatchich is Quimchin, a name given to me by my late grandmother that translates to rainbow. My English name is Sydney Francis Pickering. Um, where do I start, I guess? I was born on the island in Comox, grew up mostly outside Edmonton area, so we're pretty far from our Leowat family. Um, Mm. My mom and my grandmother were both 60 scoop babies, so we were kind of separated. They were separated for 26 years before they were reunited, so I didn't really get to grow up in my culture. And in terms of art, I've always loved it. I guess some of my first memories are like tracing Disney characters on the little books Mm -hmm. (laughs) with my dad. And I remember doing my first self-portrait when I was six. It looks terrible, but I spent hours (laughs) staring at it. And um, I always knew I loved it, but didn't know I could make a living doing art. It wasn't necessarily encouraged in school, but I can't believe where I am now, doing my first year in my master's, and I thought I'd be a drawer forever, but now I'm, like, really into film, been learning different high tanning skills over the last four years that I incorporate into my practice, a little bit of everything,
0: Ah, yeah. Kuksten, uh, that's a beautiful name. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, I was, as I was listening to my guests, I was thinking of the. Um, you know, the colonization process, how they were out to destroy our way of life. And they started to pick on the arts and spiritual practices, like potlatch and sweat lodge and Sundance. And every one of those areas are with the arts in there. I know where we had stone bulls in Stetlium territory with frog designs. And my late grandmother would talk about um, the graveyard where we used to have our graveyards. Rather than crosses, they'd have carved stone images, you know, above the grave sites. And my grandmother was telling me, she said, Sunday carved them so it looks like you and me. So the artists would do their best to get the likeness of that person that passed on. And I was listening to my granny, and I was thinking, oh, how quickly they destroyed those images. Because I'd never seen one. And she told me where to go find some. She said, there's some over there buried. But I never could find them. But I was just so amazed at how quickly... The colonization process attacked the arts, you know, and um, literally wanted to destroy it. So when I come into presence of the arts now and artists, I'm just so appreciative. Like my relative, you know, and you get into the let's say you get into media, the film. All of the arts are meant to be transformative. I know you can help people with your images and what you choose to do, whatever it is. As well as my guests here, they have already, they've already been doing it. Because I feel their art when I see it. Like, so Splash, I was just wondering, you know, what was your, who were your role models and your teachers? and What did it mean to you when they accepted you? What kind of feelings did you have getting into this art world?
1: I think um I think when I was a, a little boy, we were uh, just confused by it. there was nothing around to, to study. Mm-hmm. there was nothing in our home left. Um, my grandfather had mentioned that um, you know they'd paddle from squamish Valley they bef- you know before the for the road they would paddle to Vancouver and they'd come back and uh, one time they came back and all the carvings were gone mm-hmm. and on another trip all the stone pieces were gone and they mm-hmm. said the most heartbreaking thing is when they came home and all the weavings were gone, all the baskets um, uh, people just had taken everything, and so we had these stories of them. But um, in my uncle's lifetime, in my lifetime, we never got to really see those things. So we, we were just kind of confused by you know exactly who we were and uh, how to how to express ourselves. And uh, it was only in my mid my mid twenties that uh, uh, I I went on the first tribal journeys, went to uh, the, the Gatwas at Waglesla. Uh, and uh, as we paddled north, we we saw so many villages, and each one of them had, had been able to preserve a thing, or a couple things that, and they were all things that we didn't have at home. Um, you know, big feast songs. You know, beautiful regalia that you know everyone was wearing, and you know, language that people were, were you know were, were sharing. Just there, every everywhere had something just absolutely beautiful. And it was uh, it was like um, it, we it felt so familiar, but we didn't have any of that stuff. Um, so, uh, I, I, really got to know my, my mentor Halakton on that trip. Uh, mm-hmm. He was also on that trip and, um, I just, you know, I just bugged him. I just sat in his studio for two years sweeping up after him and fetching coffee and just, just trying to make myself useful. So he would teach me and, um, he didn't ask me to do any of that stuff, but, um, he was, he was so generous, uh, with his teachings, um, because, you know, we, we come from the same, the same Valley and, uh, you know, he, he also saw the, just the erasure of our people on our own land and even in our own hearts because we wouldn't, um, we wouldn't really be Squamish. Uh, you know, we were, we were afraid to be Squamish in the outside world. And um, we were just all very very withdrawn uh, into our little, into our homes even. Uh, we weren't really moving around in the world for, for fear. Um, so it was very hard at first to even understand how we, how we expressed ourselves or what our visual language was. And uh, over the years, we did a lot of research. We went to a lot of places and actually handled objects uh, in museums or people's homes, trying to piece back together um, what uh, Quelsius uh, might call classic salish uh, the visual language that I, I mostly engage in.
0: Wow. You know, what I was listening to you and I was thinking of that visual language and how important that was to our people, you know, it was in everything, <laughs> or everything in life, it was there. You know, so Nashmi Tanat, um, your role models and the feelings you, how did it affect you when you got into the arts and your personal growth and development as a young, young artist?
2: Um, I think I'd have to say it taught me how to act better and to treat myself with respect. Um, mm. I have a rule that I can't be acting bad. Uh, I can't be under the influence of trouble if I'm doing Indigenous iconography. And it's something that I do all the time now. So I don't really have an excuse to be out on the town causing trouble. (laughs) Um, And uh, it also... um, It reminds me to... um, sort of be proud of things I have I treat my work with a lot of respect but it I don't do the work for me I do it for indigenous people so um, it's like a reminder oh yeah that's that's me too (laughs) you know (laughs) I gotta eat better and (laughs) you know take care of myself and then um, spending time with my elders has been super fun Um, hearing their Stories of Trouble is good because it kind of, through them, I can, like, yeah. oh, you know, they did all the partying for me. I, I don't, you know, and they're they're weaving like crazy or carving cool stuff and um, leading a good life and influencing a lot of people into uh, getting into artwork. Mm-hmm. And so that's been inspiring me to work more with students. So I'm doing murals now with elementary schools in Richmond and seeing how excited kids get about Um, getting to paint something big, because you can only paint so big in a classroom, and um, getting excited about um, making art and learning about it. Um, When Splash was talking about the visual language, it reminded me of a mural I did last year where I ran out of paintbrushes so all the students couldn't paint at once. And so I started teaching them about the different shapes in Coast Salish art, and the little ones, I was like, okay, here, this is what trigons look like. Can you go point out trigons on the mural? And they ran over. And it was just really exciting um, seeing how proud they were of Salish art because they understand it's from here. And, um, you know, maybe their families aren't from here, but they recognize how important uh, the territory is here. And uh, that's been really rewarding to see. And I see uh, the influence that. Lacton has at the Harmony Arts Festival people come by hey I remember when you came to my school or hey, I remember when you showed us some carvings and um seeing that it's you know sometimes you'll do a painting for yourself but other people can identify with it in a way and it makes them proud of um themselves and uh this territory as well um and it recognizes Salish people on Salish territory, which is really important to me. Um, I do love northern art. It's been really inspiring to me, but we need to bring more Salish public art out there. So that's why I love seeing what um, James Harry is up to, or uh, I guess the other Halactin, (laughs) (laughs) And uh, seeing what Halactin's doing all the time with huge artwork everywhere and at Emily Carr too.
0: Thank you. Guimshin. Your, your journey coming to where you are and all your role models and the feelings you had coming into this.
3: Well, I got to say I don't growing up I don't think I really had too many artistic models. I don't think I was really introduced to any indigenous artists till I came to school here mm-hmm. and since then I've just been blown away by all the artists I've met. And get to see here. Um, My people that influenced me most in my artwork are of course my mom and my grandmother. Um, I didn't learn about their story till like later on when I was 20 and then from there a lot of my work is it's kind of like a form of healing for me. I really feel like to express and feel through these moments in time that have happened to my family and for me, and like to express that in different mediums. And what has helped me really reconnect with my family here was hide tanning. And it's just amazing to be able to see how um, that helps, like, how do I say that? Watching others also do these line-based practices, I feel like lately, even especially during the pandemic, there's really been like a yearning and craving to learn these skills that were pretty much almost lost. And they're, I think I'll spend my whole life trying to learn as much as I can, and I don't think there'll be enough time. But um, yeah, I would like to pass on and teach high tanning in the future. Um, In a couple weeks, I'm going to be spending a week with some youth in Mount Curry, and we're going to teach them how to do high tanning so they can make their own regalia for graduation. So that will be exciting to see. And that's kind of where I'm at at this point. (laughs) Uh,
0: It reminds me of my daughter. She wanted a a buckskin dress in graduation. Mm -hmm. So I went and bought buckskin. And my late mother made the dress, and my sister beaded it, and my mother made the moccasins. But I remember that, and the pride that I had in that expression in this public high school, you know, and it was just so powerful to mm-hmm. see someone <laughs> it's my daughter, you know, come in so proudly of mm-hmm. being who she was. You know, so that's my next area I wanted to get, and you led into a really wonderfully, was about healing and the arts of how you witnessed people healing through Doing arts, or even seeing art, or being part of art. So, um, splash, could you share with me and with us about examples of healing you witnessed by people being in the arts or doing art yourself?
1: Yeah, um, I think uh, I, I mentioned earlier that um, you know there's this Coast Salish visual language. So that's mm-hmm. actually the language, but. Um, you know, we, we stayed small, we, we kept our heads low. So we were, we didn't even have the inclination to speak up Mm -hmm. when I was growing up. So when I started to, you know, making art, I realized I, I didn't have as many stories as I wanted. Mm -hmm. I didn't have any language Mm -hmm. to express the ideas or the tools. Um, I, you know, I just, I, you know, the land, the, the art comes from the land. So I just, I needed to go back out into the land more. So, um, I think healing was—it um, was necessary to support the art. Otherwise, I'm just sort of making up stories of my own. Um, yeah. And I, I, you know, to be really authentic, I think to be really true to it, um, to the history of it, to the, the beauty of it, um, I had to grow as a human being. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had something to express. Uh, there's all the technical stuff, like how to make paint stick to a, a hide or whatever, and <laughs> how to sharpen a knife. There's all that technical stuff, but the really juicy stuff, I think, is. Um, becoming becoming human, Stelma, becoming a human being yeah. that uh, that that leaves art behind. So I think of my mentors, the way he walks in the world. It, it, it's like he's leaving footprints behind, but they're they're beautiful carvings and beautiful paintings. It's just how he moves in the world, and you can see you can see where he's been just from all the artwork he's left behind. Uh, so yeah, I aspire to that, and um, um, I think I want to be the kind of human being who can create something beautiful.
0: So who is your role model in that?
1: I think uh, wait, early on, I was kind of lucky. My, um, my family, um, you know, almost um, a bit more than half of them had been to residential school. Yeah. And um, there, was, there was nothing for us then to, to heal. But they just kept talking about it. They just kept talking about, um, you know, the good and the bad. Um, and I, th- I think that's what, what saved my, my immediate family, is this. they just kept on talking about things. And we didn't know what to do with it, but they just kept trying to, trying to purge it, uh, trying to get that stuff out of our family. Um, and my grandfather, very early on, he said he, he woke up. And I, don't, I, don't, I, can, I can remember one old house from when I was a little boy, but um, you can imagine a one-room shack with one bed, um, you know, a pump outside and outhouse. house. Um just a you could see through the walls they were the, the gaps between the boards. And uh he said none of the kids had shoes. They only had like, you know, one dress each or whatever, and yeah. there was no food in the house, but there was all this booze. So he woke up all hung over and he looked around, everyone was all passed out. And he said this this alcohol they have been, you know, because they were trying to get it for a while, it was illegal to buy it, you know, yeah. at his age. Uh so they were just sort of like they thought it'd be cool to have this alcohol stuff. And then he realized it was a real problem, and he said that's why our family was so poor, and that's why we were so sick, um, and that's why, you know, people were dying. So he just went outside and he poured it all out, and um, he might have been in his 40s or early 50s then, and um, he thought the first thing I should do is just quit drinking. And then, you know, and then once he sobered up, uh, things started to kind of go a little bit better. Um, So I I think I always saw um, his life after I, I never I never knew him when he drank, yeah. but I was he was always talking about his life. Really started when he stopped drinking. He was really really able to do stuff after that. So I, I always knew that healing was somehow linked to to making things.
0: Yeah, you know, Splash, you were helped me with part of my healing um, because Splash is the one that taught me how to make hand drum at BCIT. And you know we. I walk around and, oh, I'm okay, you know, I'm confident and stuff, but (laughs) I was so afraid of making mistakes. You know, and Splash would watch me, and I'm making my drum, and I'd lace it wrong, you see, I'd do it over. But he did it in such a gentle way that um, i do it over. And I think I even had to re-soak my hide because it was drying up too much because I was taking too long. But Splash helped me through it, and I, I finished, and... I said, whoa, did I make that? And I was looking at it, and Splash comes by, and he says, you know, you have to give that away, don't you? <laughs> and I said, no, no, I don't want to give this away. It's the first beautiful thing I made. But it helped me with my self-confidence. You know, and, uh, and thank you for that today. You know, not you know, healing in the arts, what, is, what comes to your mind when those two words are together?
2: Um, I guess Identity because we were talking a bit about it yesterday. I was asking you about um, what's something that stands out with the work you do, and um, it sort of reminded me of my time in high school, because obviously it wasn't as bad to be Indigenous now as it was even 20 years ago, Um, but I didn't really have any Indigenous peers, and if I did, um, we had very different priorities, um, so I, I was sort of just kind of running around being like, well, I, I, look indigenous, people treat me indigenous, but I don't really know what that really entails besides make sure your elders eat first. And, you know, <laughs> the, the small things, the simple things and, um, watching my mentors and my elders, I see that, um, it is all the small things and, That goes into the artwork as well. And they all overlap. And um, like if you watch Will carve, he sort of dances around his carving. And it's all the small things. So he makes sure that his knife is super sharp all the time. So that means every five minutes he'll just hone it and make sure it's really sharp. And that's a really small step, but it's so important to the work he's doing. So there's all these little small steps he's taking um, to be... I guess, like the best he can be and uh, take that responsibility of doing well. And I see that with Splash all the time. He's like, you know, uh, you say, sit like an eagle, don't slouch. He's always sitting straight. And uh, just being the best artist he can be, being the best man he can be. And um, as his apprentice, I think I should take those those steps as well. So trying to mirror you guys all the time um yeah. and healing comes with that uh, you know if you're um doing things with ill intent i feel like it is makes your work bad medicine too uh they talk about it with beading a lot like if you're really mad working on stuff you're gonna make mistakes but it also means that your earrings will cause cause sickness yeah. so only make things if you're in good spirit and um i think that overlaps with a lot of things but they talk about it with beadwork a lot now um but I see its influence in other things. Like you can tell when um, you look at a carving and it really moves you, or you look at a print. And I've been really into the screen prints from the 80s lately, and um, super inspired by the energy within them. There's, it's really simple, just a few layers of colors, but it holds so much um, power. And I wonder, like, what. It's just simple design. It's not on a three-dimensional thing. And it's only a few simple choices, the colors, the paper, and then your own energy. So if you put good energy into it, and that involves healing too, to be the best person you can be, it'll improve your design.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Queen. Creamst- um, can you share with us examples of what you've witnessed? With yourself or others around healing and the arts, and how arts have promoted healing or helped healing?
3: Um, I guess to start for myself, I guess growing up, um, art was always like a form of escape for me. Yeah. And then as I've gotten older and my art practice has evolved, um, I feel like healing and art are like one for me. But when I, what I have witnessed is the power art can have in sending a message or telling a story that can't always reach everyone or communicate just by conversation. I feel sometimes the arts have a power that other forms don't in um, yeah, getting people to understand a certain message. Like for me... I'm like, this is why <laughs> I write and I create art, because I don't think I'm an eloquent speaker, and I'm able to express something that I can't with words. But now, as I'm becoming more of an artist, I'm realizing now I have to talk about it. So <laughs> this is good <laughs> practice for me. <laughs> oh,
0: thank you. I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> I was watching a Buddhist um, uh, master. hmm on youtube and he was with a group that were doing chanting and i seen that so oh, i want to watch this so the woman and the men were chanting and playing instruments and he's just sitting there and he'd go like this or you know you can't see me in the podcast but he'd move, <laughs> move his hands with the music and once in a while he hit a like a big gong kind of thing Boom, you know but i he was an artist just the way he moved his hands he was just it made the music you know <laughs> surprising you know <laughs> so um, what i'd like you now to um, you know there are many i believe identities are our principal problem is there many think i'm not indigenous enough because i don't know indigenous stuff I don't know my language, you know. I don't. I never carved anything. I never killed a deer or a moose or tanned a hide. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm so glad you're into tanning, you know, because my grandmother, my late mother, used to tan, and people from Hockleip, my relative over there, you know, like um, Mrs. Mitchell was a master deer hide tanner, you know, in Upper Lulwit. Oh, they do it in a day. You know, and just and such beautiful leather. Then mm-hmm. uh, they'd embroider on it or a bead on it, you know, and it's just beautiful. It Smells so nice too
2: when they smoke
0: it. So, what I'd like you, all of you now, to do is um, choose a group of people that you can send a message to about being an artist. You know, what kind of message would you give them? Let's say there's a young young girl, or young woman, or young boy, or young man, what would you say to them when they come into the arts? What kind of advice would you give them? And this time we'll start with um, Nashmeen Tanath. Oh, just, just from your heart, you know, and just from what comes to you right now, to your spirit, what kind of message would you give?
2: Um, I guess, like, be relentless, you know? No matter what people say, just keep, you know, do your own thing, walk your own path if you have to. Um, Research is super important. It's very labor intensive. It's very isolating, but it's so rewarding because you always find a new treasure, whether it's a piece of art you haven't seen before or the name of a relative you didn't know about. Um, There's always ways to find out more information, and I think that um, that's really powerful now is to um like I've done a lot of work on looking into old obituaries to find my family on the island and it's very depressing you know seeing like all these huge families that I don't know um and many of them is, have passed now but just knowing that they're out there mm-hmm. and you know running around on the same island I visit <laughs> and it's just really inspiring and um there's always um different artworks out there that'll, um, you know, teach you more about Salish design language as well. Um, So, yeah, research and relentlessly, relentlessly research all the time. And it looks different, too.
0: So go out and look. Yeah. Don't wait.
2: Yeah, people say, oh, I saw an ovoid in a rock. But you can find um, trigons and crescents in rocks, too. They're just in a different way. Usually they'll be in just the negative space around the rocks. And that's what I hear from the students up at Frida Deezing is that their teachers will be like, I found this rock and it made me think of you and it's got a big ovoid on it. And um, I'm like, oh, I wish I could bring these boulders home, but, you know, maybe <laughs> someone someone will be inspired by them. And... Um, You know, being inspired by the land is part of it, something that a lot of people say is, oh, we're all observers, you're all very observant. And people think that means just looking with your eyes. But there's other ways of learning, too. Like, if you're learning 3D forms, often you'll see, like, carvers or ceramicists will run up and just pick something up or touch it. And I bet you hide tanners, too. They're like, oh, this feels so cool. Um, (laughs) And uh, it's... The same with learning engraving. It's all in the feel. And you can't really see it with your eyes, but you could see it with your, like, elbow. It's really weird. Um, and uh, and then also just, like, watching how people are standing and moving and interacting with the world. So you're observing with all your different senses, and you have to be doing it all the time. If you're, if you're on it, if you know you're doing it, then it's okay. You'll, you'll be fine. But um, there's going to be a lot of people that, oh, what are you doing? Like, I'm talking about sea creatures or something with this, but um, sometimes you just have to sit there and just listen for a while, which is observing.
0: So what would you say not to do?
2: Not to do? Um, Be careful who you hang around with, because if you're hanging around with people that don't make you feel good, it's Mm going to make you really exhausted mentally. You're not going to want to do anything. You're going to just want to, like, crawl into your room and not leave. And um, during the pandemic, obviously, I was not hanging out with everybody that I used to. But I used to go to concerts a lot. Like, it was kind of a problem. Actually, it was a financial problem. Um, And it was nice to kind of reset that because I realized where I was not only pouring my money, but pouring my emotional energy. And... um, I've been meeting with um, my elders slash teachers slash fellow artists um, on Zoom every week and it was really nice to um, kind of clean up who I was around socially and I feel like it gave me a lot of um, cultural and spiritual growth which was uh, amazing because I was hanging out at concerts with people that like it's no fun being the sober friend. It's actually kind of terrible because people will get wasted and then you have to play babysitter. And you're like, well, I could be going and learning something right now, but instead I'm like babysitting. Um, Not even getting paid for it. Um, So there's different ways to um, kind of like watch your emotional energy, whereas you could be pouring that into other things. um, Even if it's hanging out with, Family—it's—it's it's something that is feeding yourself as well, or going biking—that's a good one too.
0: Okay, thank you. Question: <laughs> Message that you'd like to give to future artists, or even to artists that you know—you know—give a message out, and the teachings in the air spreads in the air. So.
3: Hmm. Well, when I think about this, I think about my last years in high school and how. Art was, like, an option. It wasn't, like, a mandatory or important class. And I remember teachers, because I'm horrible at any form of math and science, and they essentially were like, if you can't do these things, like, you're not going to make it. And I just really felt like like I didn't know what I was going to do with myself and that art wasn't a serious path. But I never would have imagined I am where I am now, and that there are so many possibilities with the arts, it could be anything you want it to, and if you want to pursue it, just be fearless, and also, like, don't take everyone's word seriously, choose the ones you think that are important, there's always going to be people that don't understand what you're making, or what you're doing, but, and also the arts community is super supportive, like, we're out here, and <laughs> I think it's a beautiful place to be.
0: Definitely.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: We're in paradise. <laughs> We're surrounded by art, you know, and it's it's just beautiful here, you know. I can feel the energy coming off the art, you know, like I was told that uh, teachings, like our voices will now go into this wood mm-hmm. and it'll be there and it sort of emanates after, you know, like they talk about in the in the big pit houses or the long houses, the main beams that there would be teachings in them. And I never understood it, you know, until probably hanging around with artists. <laughs> you know? <laughs> okay, Splash, do you have any uh, words of advice or what would you say to aspiring artists or even, you know, the your cohort of artists that you know now?
1: I think the first thing I would, would say to people is, uh, you know, art's a wonderful way to re-engage in the culture. You can look at things, you can you know, try things out. Um, if it's a visual visual language, you're going to make a lot of spelling mistakes, if you will, at first, and that's that's okay too. Um, but it's a nice way to 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 reengage in culture. And I, I guess my message would be just to to come home. Um, you know, when I first started do working with youth, my elders said. Um, well, they said I wasn't very good at our language. They said I wasn't very good at singing. They said I wasn't very good at a whole bunch of things. But they said uh, that's okay because you don't have to be good at those things. You just need to go out there like a sheepdog and round people up and bring them home. They said so we, we miss our relatives. We love our relatives. And we want them, we want them to come back. And um, I can't help but think of the salmon people, like growing up watching the salmon people come up the river. Um, they've never actually lived. They've never actually lived there. Um, they, were, they were so small when they floated downstream they've never actually lived at home but you see them uh, fight they'll, they'll jump over any falls or go through any shallows they go around all the seals and fishermen and they fight so hard to get home and uh, i just have to say that to our relatives out there come come home uh, fight fight to get back because people very deliberately tried to break our communities up and break our families up and and we want you we want you back um and and i guess the the thing you, don't do is, like, don't get discouraged. Um, Unfortunately, we'll come home and the receptionist at the band office will be, like, super rude to us and, like, oh, what do you Bill C-31, urban Indian, you know, (laughs) whatever, (laughs) they'll say something (laughs) anywhere like that. And sometimes we're we're afraid of those things, so we we let them drive us away. But um, I've spoken to so many elders who were in a residential school crying every night wanting to go home. And when they came home, people treated them badly. And some of those elders just wandered off. And we, we never saw them again. Um, what, a, what, a, what a terrible thing to happen to our people. And, and we do it to ourselves now. We, we convince ourselves we're like not Indian enough or not dark-skinned enough or can't speak our language or whatever has been taken from us. And we blame ourselves. Uh, I just, you know, I think... You see some art in a book, even, or hear a song in a recording, and um, if you if you feel a connection, come 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 back to us. Um, let's get our family sort of back together. Let's let's build our people back up.
0: Yes, you know I remember coming back from residential school, and um, one of the men, he wasn't an elder yet, and he said, "Ah, she's asking me who I was." And I remember I put up my shoulders and I said, I don't, I don't know what you're saying. And he sort of snorted and said, oh, you stupid Indian. You know, he was half cut, you know. And I, don't, you know, I think about it, he probably didn't mean it, you know, because in your drink, you're not yourself. But I remember it cut me. And I guess you could say, I didn't want to go home. You know, when I heard you say that, it surely touched me. Because there are many that experienced that. That pain of um, not being ukhulmiyukh means original person in our language. You know, that feeling. What, when I come home, through the music was my principal way, picking up the hand drum. And I come home, and people there too, I had to be relentless. Because people would say, oh, you're singing it wrong. <laughs> you know, so I'd stop singing for a year. And then, I said, then one of the elders said, Jerry, it doesn't matter because elders would laugh when they'd hear me sing, some of them, but it's because they're happy that someone's carrying on. And it must be the same with the arts, with people that, and same with uh, tanning. We need more people to go back to tanning, to basket weaving, to wool weaving, you know, all of our arts. That beauty there, that protection, you know, and I called this, um, Podcast the beauty because an elders said, put beauty beauty in front of you, behind you, beside you, above you, below you, and you'll be surrounded with beauty. And he says when you get to tomorrow and you look behind you, the day after, what's there? Beauty. And that's what our people had. With our house posts, with our carvings, our baskets, our spoons, like I was saying, you know, was beauty. And that's a reflection of our mind when we see that beauty. It's a beauty way, it's an indigenous way, you know, and it's. Let's all go home to that, is um, what Pulukhtin says today come home. And I want to echo that. Come home, you know, and uh, surround yourself with beauty. And when the children see that, then they live the beauty way. You know, so let's show them beauty. And I want to thank my guests today for being part of that movement of inviting people home to who we are. It's never gone. Like I tell people, you know, Like I've told people on podcasts that I have Spanish ancestry and Irish ancestry in me. And it doesn't matter, but the most important part is i got Stetlium. And that's my choice of who I represent, is Stethlium. And I go home to that when I go and see the rock paintings and the rock carvings. I went to Germany, and I went to this museum, and they had stuff from Stadlium Territory, and they pulled out this big drawer, and there was a human-shaped, and I said, that's a mortuary pole, because it's shaped, it's carved like a human. And then I seen fishnets, and they kept, and the way I looked at it when I was there, because I took pictures. I said I can encourage our artists to make mortuary poles for our graveyards. We have an idea now. You know, so it's been a wonderful podcast for me today. And um, I know because I'm feeling, and I feel, I heal. You know, and I got very touched with my guests. I just want to thank you for coming to teachings in the air, like my elder told me. The music is not gone. The arts are not gone. It's in the air. Go meditate, go look. Like (laughs) Nashmintana says, be relentless. Don't give up. Go out and look, sit under the tree, sit by the rock, by the river, meditate, and it'll come to you. Because the teachings are in the air. So I want to thank my guests and thank my crew for being here today and supporting us, and especially this Emily Carr University, you know, and the Indigenous Studies Department, because we're surrounded with beauty, with hand drums, with carvings, with hides, furs. It's beautiful here, and they treated us so good, and they provided nourishment for us, which is an Indigenous way. We got um, Urban Bannock, donuts you know and coffee and juice and tea so i just want to thank them give them a big shout out and uh, ask everyone to support emily carr as well as langara because splash works at langara so i just like to thank all of you again and that's a podcast